This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. High-profile stalking cases sometimes make the headlines, but the total number of cases each year may shock you. 3.5 million and rising. We'll have this story. We can have the best laws in place, but if we're not training the people whose jobs it is to respond, then the law is an empty promise. Then, if things sometimes seem hopeless or overwhelming, we'll hear from a man who says taking responsibility at home or at the office can change everything in your community. All of us really forget how powerful we really are. When we ask this question, what can I do about this rather than what someone else should do about it? Those two stories, and a lot more, are heading your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. Our show begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. The statistics are staggering. Nearly 3.5 million people over the age of 18 are stalked each year in the United States. And the problem is continuing to grow. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey is here to learn more. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Michelle Garcia. She's director of the Stalking Resource Center at the National Center for Victims of Crime. So stalking, is it a growing problem or is it just getting more attention today? I think it's getting more attention today, and some of that is based on us having better research around stalking so that we really, truly understand the prevalence of it in the U.S. today. If we look at it as a behavior, it's probably as old as time itself, but as an act that we consider a problematic behavior, criminal behavior, something we've really only looked at in the past two decades, and so our awareness of it is definitely growing. Stalking is kind of unique because it's not a single, easily defined crime like other crimes would be. Definitely. It is a very unique and often challenging crime to address, particularly for our criminal justice system, because as you said, you have to look at it as this course of conduct or this pattern of behavior. It's not a one-time incident. It's not a single incident crime. And even more challenging is that Often when we look at the behaviors, many of those behaviors in and of themselves are not going to be criminal behaviors. So some of the most common stalking behaviors are often things like the offender is making phone calls, leaving messages, sending emails, sending text messages, showing up in public places, sending letters, sending gifts. And most of these behaviors by themselves are not criminal behaviors. It's typically not a crime to make a phone call or send an email or send a text message. And so really it requires us as responders and professionals and for our criminal justice community to look at that full pattern of behavior, that course of conduct, and also in the context of how that victim is experiencing it to really identify it as stalking. And it almost seems like it would be in the eye of the beholder on where that line is, on what crosses from being persistent, I guess, to being a stalker. Absolutely. Context is critical in stalking cases because when we look at some of these behaviors, in one context they may not be problematic, whereas in another context they may be. So, for instance, if, say, I'm in a relationship and my partner and I, by mutual agreement, text each other, a hundred times over the course of a day just to communicate, that in itself is not problematic. But if you have someone who maybe isn't in a relationship with someone or has ended a relationship with someone and no longer wants to communicate with that person, and that person is now texting them a hundred times a day, then it is problematic. 
So the behavior may be exactly the same, but the context is what changes how we perceive it. And I think the other challenge is sometimes we will see a behavior or hear about something that to us may seem benign or non-threatening, but to that victim it may be absolutely terrifying. So one example is that we often hear a story from a victim that could be something like they got home and they found a flower on their doorstep or a dozen roses on their car. And to many people, that doesn't seem at all like a threatening behavior. In fact, for many people, that may be a welcome behavior. But if that's a stalking victim who'd previously been told by their stalker that the day you're going to die is the day you find a dozen roses on your car, that behavior is absolutely terror-inducing. And so really, I can't stress this enough, context is critical in stalking cases. You mentioned texting a couple of times. Technology certainly has changed the way stalkers can track their victims. There's things like Facebook and GPS technology. It's changed a lot, hasn't it? It definitely has. Technology has made it much more challenging. But one thing that you know I do want to highlight is that I don't think technology has created a whole new breed of stalkers necessarily, but that it facilitates behaviors that they have always engaged in. So you mentioned GPS. Prior to some of the technologies like GPS, if a stalker wanted to know every place a victim went or track their movements, they might physically have to do that. They might have to sit outside of a victim's house or workplace or get in their own car and follow them. All things which could open them up to detection, well, now they can put a GPS tracker on that victim's car and from the privacy of their own home, see every place that victim goes. It definitely facilitates the behaviors that they've engaged in and has made it easier for them to monitor, surveil, gather information about victims. We're talking with Michelle Garcia, director of the Stalking Resource Center at the National Center for Victims of Crime, and we're discussing the growing crime of stalking. Michelle, it seems like we see cases in the news where a woman has used every legal means to stop the stalker, and yet something horrific happens. How would you change our nation's laws to better deal with the problem? To enhance our responses to stalking, it requires several things. I think our laws are a really large piece of that. The good news is that every state in the U.S., including the territories in the District of Columbia, have stalking laws. There's also federal stalking law. One of the challenges with our statutes, though, is to really keep up with our increasing understanding of stalking. So... The first stalking law was passed in 1990 in California. Within a decade, every state had a stalking statute. The challenge we've seen for many of them, particularly in the past decade and related to what we were just talking about with technology, is that they're keeping pace with technology as it advances and as offenders are using or misusing these technologies. So one, our laws need to keep up. Two, I think they need to recognize the seriousness of stalking and the risks that victims face and that this is a behavior that often does escalate into something much more serious like physical harm or attempted murder or actual murder. And in many states, actually in most states right now, a first offense for stalking without any sort of aggravating factors is a misdemeanor. So there's very little consequences or accountability for offenders, even when victims do report, when there is an investigation, when there is a prosecution, and when there is a conviction, which are many, many hurdles to get through even to get to that point. But I think one of the other things that we really need in addition to laws that address the realities of stalking are also responders and practitioners on a local level who understand stalking, who recognize it, and know how to effectively respond to it. 
we can have the best laws in place, but if we're not training the people whose jobs it is to respond, to work with victims, to investigate, to prosecute, to provide services, and to hold offenders accountable, then the law is an empty promise. Do things like buying a gun or getting a dog help, or what advice can you offer to a woman who thinks she may be the target of a stalker? Well, when we work with victims, we provide a number of different options. And so when looking at safety, it's an individual case-by-case evaluation. So for any victim of stalking, one of the things that we highly recommend is that they connect with a local advocate or service provider in their community who can work with them around developing a safety plan that can identify concrete strategies that they can use to try and make themselves safer. And that can mean things like, changing their routines, changing their patterns, looking at technology and how they can use that technology more safely, engaging in actions that enhances their own personal security. So it could be things like getting a dog or installing a security system in their home or obtaining a weapon and getting trained on how to use that. And so we really want to talk with victims about the many options that are available to them and provide them with information so they can make informed decisions about what options are best for them. You mentioned using technology more safely. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. One example, if you're a victim and you're on a social networking site like, say, Facebook or MySpace, the advice that we typically give is not to not use it, not to totally shut it down, though that's an option, but how can you still connect with your friends and your family and your support system, which is really important to victims, but in a way that if the offender does access that information it minimizes the risk. So things like if you're updating your status on your social networking site, that you're not putting detailed information. So you're not checking in every place you go or telling your entire network that I'm at this restaurant at this time or that I'm going to this city for vacation on these dates, but just more general information that you're cautious about how you give out your information. And that's really a good caution for any and all of us. Good information. Michelle Garcia, director of the Stalking Resource Center at the National Center for Victims of Crime. Michelle, where can people learn more about your center and what you can offer? If you go to our website, ncvc.org, it's National Center of Victims of Crime. Both victims and those working with victims can find a lot of information about increasing your understanding of stalking and also resources for victims and for professionals about how you can work around these issues. All right, well, thanks again for joining us on InfoTrack, Michelle. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, are you fed up with the way things are going in the world today? Our next guest has the powerful and empowering answer. That's coming up next. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back. 